discover the possibilities of internal medicine. Welcome back to NYCP's Vision Spotlight podcast. My name is Gayathri Boba, and I'm a member of the NYCP Medical Student Committee. Today, we have with us Dr. Anush Patel. After receiving his medical degree in India, Dr. Patel went on to complete his internal medicine residency at the Mary Imogene Bassett Hospital. He subsequently completed a medical oncology fellowship at the University of Arizona and a medical hematology fellowship at the University of Buffalo. Presently, Dr. Patel is a chief of hematology and oncology at Bassett Hospital in Cooperstown. He's also the current NYACP district president for the Hudson Valley capital area. Dr. Patel, it's a pleasure to have you here with us today. Thanks so much for having me, Gatrin. But this is uh, never done this before, but it's going to be exciting. You know, I'll see what, where this leads us. Yes, great. it's very exciting. We're so glad to have you here. Yeah. Uh, first off, what really inspired you to pursue a career in hematology and oncology? So you know, so when I started, uh, when I was doing my clinical rotations in my first years of residency, I didn't like hematology oncology. I was really pulled down by, uh, you know, morbidity of the patient, people, you know, people getting sick, people, you know, may, maybe going through the the whole parody of, uh, you know, accepting the diagnosis, fighting it, denial. Um, so that was really hard and I, that really turned me down. But what really inspired me, it, it's patients. I think that led me to do oncology. You know, it, it's a tough field, right? It, it's a difficult field to be in. People are going through a lot of physical and mental stress, you know, and, uh, and environmental, financial, it's, it, cancer is still only part of it. Life still goes on. And, you know, but when you go to outpatient, you see people are so thankful, most patients. It's amazing the, how much credit they have. They get up every morning and show up with a whole tray of cookies. I'd like, you know, how do you have time to do that? How do you strength to do that? You know, I do like 25 minutes of rowing in the morning and my back hurts, and I look, you know, I'm like rickety. So. I think, I think those patients inspire me, to be honest, to do that. And second thing, I think I feel this progressing so rapidly. Ten years ago, people could live, you know, six months, eight months with, you know, stage four kidney cancer. I have someone who is for eight and a half years with kidney cancer stage four. And so I think the science is progressing so rapidly. As I will be part of that, you know, part of science, part of bringing it to the smaller communities and, and, and just, just part of uh, the evolution of medicine. I think that really led me to oncology. The patient aspect of it is the biggest inspiration. Like just talking to people who are so driven that, you know, it really inspires you to like be there every day and show up for them. You show up for patients, like, you know, they inspire you and and the science and technology is fantastic, but I think it's it's patient that drives you. No, and and I work in communities that not everyone has, you know, big retirement plan, whatever they have, they bring it. Like, you know, in Christmas, we have a boatload of cookies. I, I was going to bring this pen, but my patient brought me. It's like about, you know, the injection looking pen, like syringe. He brought for the whole cancer center, you know. It's pretty, you know, like small thing. But they appreciate every small thing you do. And not to forget, positive part, we cure, cure a lot of patients. So I think that the group of people you cure, you know, that's your, your biggest push. That Sometimes people say, why are oncologists so aggressive? I want to cure everyone. That's why I'm doing what I'm doing. If I cannot cure, I want to make them live the best they can and the longest they can. You know, that's my second goal. And that's going to happen no matter what field you choose. You could be an internal medicine specialist. You could be a pulmonologist, nephrologist, or oncologist, or hematologist. You have, will have to deal with end-of-life care. So I take pride in myself kind of helping people through all this. If I cannot cure... I'm going to, I promise I'll make you live longer and better. If I can't, I'll definitely help you 
die peacefully with all dignity. I think that whole aspect really kind of clenches me to oncology. And I think you kind of touched on this earlier, but what do you see as a really challenging aspect in your field? So I think the, the biggest challenge comes, I think one thing is keep up with the science. I think if you see the science has progressed, you know, again, going back to kidney cancer, because I just saw that lady, the kidney cancer, right? When I was in my fellowship 10 years ago in uh, Tucson, uh, yeah, we had only, I had only, you know, we had two drugs, three drugs. Now we have eight or nine drugs, you know? So I think to keep up with the amount of information comes out, amount of trial comes out, that's a academic uh, challenging part. Other part is that, you know, the, the, the patient care part gets harder because longer people live, they have a lot more comorbidities. They have more side effects of the drugs. So we have to deal with this long-term complication. And I think third aspect is that and that's probably harder part of feel like, you know, I know this lady for eight years. I see her more than her son does, right? I see her, her every two, three, four weeks. So you get really, really attached to them. I think that's harder. Those, those three are three aspects I think of. Now I can give you an example. A patient of mine used to bring me homemade, like amazing cookies. Like every time she comes to me every month with chocolate chip and cherries, that's her thing. She bakes in like fresh batch every morning brings me one of the foil containers and I take it home and I finish it, half of it, you know, that that's his routine. Seven years on kidney cancer, I saw her probably hundreds of times, a very intimate discussion. She, you know, it was time that she accepted hospital. That's what she needed to do. So she passed away last week, but uh, earlier this week, I got a mail with the recipe of her cookies in the mail. Mm-hmm. That's pretty amazing. And, and this yeah. amazing letter. That's amazing. Stuff like that because oh. like, you know, I'm in the right field. I, I you, know, right. she, you know, she passed away. I'm sad. I get it. You know, but she had seven plus years, great time. And I, I, I have a recipe with me. Right, yeah. So, <laughs> I was actually so, just, I was about to ask you what is the most rewarding aspect, but it seems like you just answered that. That's, <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> it's so heart touching, honestly. Mm. Yeah, so no, so the letter she wrote, she's like, you know, only thing I'll regret that I can make you any more cookies. That was her her part of her letter. That's pretty amazing. That's amazing. I think moments like that, I'm not saying that only we as an oncologist side, no, but I'm sure people in pulmonary people and everybody feels that everybody has their own story. And this is my story. So, where do you see, uh, because you've talked about, you know, so many changes happening in the field things that we haven't realized, you know, with the drugs that we're using to treat, uh, they're now having side effects. Where do you see the field heading in about 10 years or so? I think two things are likely going to happen. One thing in oncology is that we are going to have sub subspecialists. Second thing is going to happen that, you know, right now we say, well, your lung, your breast, I think that's going to get somewhat abolished partly. There's still subspecialists, but we are going to have this bigger branch of oncology and that's we all molecularly driven. Right now, you know, we know that lung cancer, you know, why are people living so much longer, right? The median survival for lung cancer used to be nine months. That's what you learned in a med school, right? Now for certain cancer is five, four, five years, right? Why is that? Because we learned, we know how to subcategorize lung cancers. We know they have EGFR mutation, they have ALK mutation, they have this mutation, they have all the mutations. The one piece of lung cancer is like small slivers 
of different kind of cancer. They all have different outcomes. That's what has happened. And I think in future, it's going to be molecular oncology. There's going to be another aspect of the lung cancer that's going to spread across oncology. So it doesn't matter what cancer do you have based on your next generation sequencing, which is how we uh, uh, sequence DNA and, uh, and RNA. Based on that, we are going to treat cancer, not where it originated and anatomically. I think that's going to change. And third thing, uh, I said two, but I please attend to three. So I think third thing is going to happen that, that we are going to have, we will learn how to use the, our own immune system better. Like we have a big source of immunotherapy now, right? Which we didn't have 10 years ago. So immunology and molecular oncology is probably going to take over the our conventional oncology. I think those are the two scientific changes going to happen. I believe. It's really interesting. It's not something that I had really thought about, like going for the molecular way instead of like the location. It's not something I had thought about. Yeah, yeah, I agree. You know, it's not going to be anatomical in 10 years. Right, um, right. You know, there. And, and you'll be much ahead of me, guys, and I'll be calling, <laughs> hey, what do I do now? That's That would be great to hear from you, mm -hmm. um, So uh, you're currently the Chief of Hematology and Oncology in Cooperstown. What are the benefits and challenges of working in a rural area such as Cooperstown? So I think the challenges comes in multiple facets. One, one problem we have is is access for patients, right? Our, our, it's really hard to get to Cooperstown if you're not in this beautiful city where the baseball originated. We invented baseball, but it's really hard to get to Cooperstown. So I think any rural area, I think the thing is access is the biggest problem. Uh, second thing, people are sicker uh, and they have more comorbidities with, with, with less um, resources. That's another problem in rural medicine. And third uh, challenge of our smaller area you know, it, it's recruitment. I, I, you know, that's a bigger problem. For me to recruit a, a nurse takes a lot longer than you might take it in Boston. You know, and, and sometimes, you know, I have people, and you may not believe it, I have so many patients who have never left the county. They don't want to go to county, you know, anywhere outside. You know, Cooperstown, okay. as beautiful as big it is, we have only one traffic light. Wow. <laughs> you know, that starts blinking after nine o'clock in summer, you know? <laughs> so we have like three quarters of a traffic light, you know? Um, right. But, you know, but, but that's a hub because we, serve, in Bassett, we serve 5,600 square mile radius. So right now I'm about 40 some miles away from home in Cobosgill. I'm probably close to you guys and then I'm from my home. So, so I think, you know, so the, so I think it, it has its own challenge, but one of our biggest challenge is, uh, is a talent pool to recruit certain type of talent uh, and this transportation and under insurance. Those are the three biggest challenges in a rural area. What would you say some benefits are though from working in a rural area? So I think the, the benefits are people. People are just incredibly nice. Other benefits, you know, um, I think rural is, is a really fantastic place to raise kids and, and, and have a family. I think that's one of the biggest advantage. Life is pretty stress-free. You know, I live in Cooperstown, so I walk to work in 11 minutes. Uh, I think your neighbors become your families. Uh, so I think there are a lot of advantage of small, close-knit community. You know, we are rural, we are middle of nowhere, but Bassett has about uh, uh, 280 or about 300 physicians and 300 APCs. So there was 700 practitioners in Bassett network group. We have so many people and we are still able to provide 
any specialty and subspecialty care we need. So we could be a geographic area, so we could have more uh, amenities available to us and our patients. So I think that's an advantage. Um, right. So I, th I think the air is clear. I, you know, I tell people, if you live here, you live five years longer because you have no stress, air is cleaner. Um, and you, yeah. It sounds like, I mean, stress-free is really good, especially in the life of a physician to have less stress in your daily life will oh, absolutely. really make a difference in like patient care as well, I think. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So for medical students that are interested in hematology and oncology, could you just take us through a typical day as chief? To be honest, being chief is just slightly more paperwork. But my day as, as a hemorrhaging oncologist, my day is fulfilling. There are stressful moments. There, there are moments that I wish I didn't have to have some discussions. Um, but I think days, uh, the typical day is that, you know, um, of course, uh, I'm in a small community. I'm a, I'm a community oncologist. So people who are academic oncologists, their lifestyle is different. Um, so, 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 you know, uh, so that's a typical day, you know, eight to 12, we see, you know, all about 15 patients a day, we see patients in the clinic and kind of, kind of oversee them in the, in the infusion room, which is, you know, in middle of our clinics. Um, we are on call just like any other specialty or subspecialty and we cover emergency department patients from home. They can call us directly after five o'clock uh, over weekend. But in general, it's pretty amazing life. We as an oncologist, we really try to be on top of our game because things change so fast. So we really like to uh, give the, the latest evidence base and now more targeted drugs, just more personalized medicine, I guess that's what I should say. You know, if, if, if the new paper comes out in any GM, you know, two weeks ago, if we had a paper in any two weeks ago, if it's appropriate, we will try to get the drug for the patient. So when I was doing my hematology oncology rotation, I noticed that more than any other specialty, I felt like journal club or like reading journals was a really big part of the daily, um, you know, routine because there was just so much research coming out, so many changes to drugs, and there's constant ongoing research with many different uh, malignancies. So is that something that you say is a really big part of your daily right. life? Yeah, absolutely. So I think I, I think it's very imperative that you treat cancer in a multi-specialty group, right? You you have to treat in multidisciplinary setting. So we have tumor boards where we discuss with medical oncology, surgical oncology, you know. And when you are an oncologist, you always have this your core group of people you just call mm -hmm. and, and and vice versa. And mm -hmm. I think no matter what specialty you are, that's what or subspecialty you're going to have that. It's yeah, it's like a clan. You just work together. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I think that works really good for patients because then they, they need something, you know, you're going to get it for them. For us to keep up with it, I think I have to read maybe 45 minutes to an hour almost every day. So probably five, six hours of reading a week. Uh, I, I, when I travel, I li listen to a lot of podcasts. Um, so those are things you have to do if you are in, uh, in field as progressive as medical oncology or hematology. So we do that quite often. Um, so what advice do you have for medical students that are looking to join into internal medicine residency or, you know, hematology, oncology? One thing I learned from my process is don't be afraid of things that makes you uncomfortable. Like I can give you my example. It really made me uncomfortable uh, doing my oncology rotation. Right? That's why I was like, ah, how can I do that? I was very uncomfortable, but then I tend to grow into it. So do not put blinders on till you exactly know what you're getting into. That's more academically. Second thing I would say, you know, be a part of a bigger moment. 
you know, join ACP, join AMA, join something that 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 helps you build this camaraderie, that helps you join the the same-minded people. I think uh, I think that's that's very prudent not to feel isolated. And my final question, I want to ask you: Why are you a part of ACP? So I started ACP a few years ago, and I was kind of passive, so passive. I didn't do much, you know. But the reason I initially got involved because uh, one of one of my mentors, Dr. Doug DeLong and Dr. Hyman, were a big part of ACP. That's who they got me connected with. And the reason I became I was part of ASCO, and you know, but the reason I truly became part of ACP that I think we all need something to cling on to. I think we need more camaraderie, and especially in this, you know, even before COVID, we, you know, we are so isolated in our own medical field. No, I think ACP provides this platform where you can connect and you can do much better and much bigger things as a group that gives you the platform and the, and the support you need to uh, connect with other people who, will, who are like-minded. Uh, it's really good advocacy for patients it's really made to uh, be a voice of patient and physicians. They help us practice better medicine and they also address them as us. We, all, we are also able to address the social issues that are affecting us. Thank you so much, Dr. Patel, for taking the time to talk to us, to share your journey and your experiences. You did great. Thank you so much. Thank this you. Thank you, <laughs>